Working is better than whining. Welcome to the Cutting the Gordian Knot podcast. Today, we are rapid fire destroying myths about the free market, about capitalism, if you want to call it that. We have many to do, and this is probably going to be the last episode in this series. So if you want to hear me bust a few more, email me at thegordianknot101 at gmail.com and let me know what myths you would like me to bust, and maybe we can bust those too. So our first today is capitalism hurts minorities and women. For instance, the gender pay gap or the racial pay gap. Here's the thing. I told you in the earlier episode, the first time I heard this myth, I typed in the uh, address of the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics and I looked up, what are they talking about? And I found, as I've described many times, that there were men and women and their average pay to the right-hand side. And it was true. If you divided the one by the other, you got the gender pickup. However, what everybody neglected was what was directly underneath that, which was average hours worked for men and for women. And if you just accounted for literally the next rows of data, like you you couldn't not see that going to the page. It, it, embarrassingly obvious. If you just accounted for that, it took care of like a third or a half of the entire gender pay gap. So if you still think that just because you hear a number or just because you hear a claim, it must be true I have terrible news for you about the state of the world. There are those who just sling out propaganda, and this is just sheer, naked, embarrassing propaganda. Nothing could be more false that women work the same job, the same hours, and yet get paid worse. This is this is past sloppy. I understand getting numbers wrong here and there at the margins, whatever. This is a flat-out lie. This is a misrepresentation of the data. This is just sheer propaganda. And if somebody's saying this, they're lying to you. Maybe they don't know they're lying, but um, if they don't, well, they're kind of responsible for that type of ignorance as well. Here's a few things they don't take into account. Obviously, we talked about hours worked. They also don't talk about type of work. Like, seriously? They don't account for the different types of work that are there? I mean, logging and mining and uh, being a petroleum engineer, um, all of those have more men in them. All of those pay very well. Uh, kindergarten teachers, it's like 95% women. And of course, that doesn't pay extraordinarily well. We wouldn't expect a kindergarten teacher to get the same amount as somebody who's working up in uh, North Dakota in the uh, uh, doing oil drilling. Of course not. So they're not accounting for the type of work. They're also not accounting for the firm size. And this has um, a lot to do. That That's a pretty big one. On average, men tend to work for larger companies. And these larger companies uh, can pay larger wages. They get economies of scale from being large and therefore can support higher wages. But at the expense of um, uniformity, uniformity in hours, uniformity in all sorts of things. They demand uh, travel, things like that. It's less flexible um, in a large firm than a small firm where it's a 
flatter management structure where everybody kind of knows each other. So women tend to go to firms which are smaller to get more flexibility because women have competing things going on. They might bear a child that year. They might have to take care of a, of a young kid. Who knows? But women choose to be in smaller firms and therefore a lot of the difference in wages is due to that. In addition to that, men are more likely to choose a longer commute so is it a surprise you're going to earn on average higher wages if you expand the radius in which you can work? No, of course not. The highest paying job you're qualified for gets higher the further you're willing to commute, guys, of course. And a lot of that time, men are commuting into more urban areas. So inside of city centers, wages tend to be higher. It's a type of localized uh, inflation, if you will. Cost of living is higher too, but that's why these men commonly commute. So men are more likely to work in the city um, for the same job than a woman is, but that's not included in the data. And finally, years of experience. You see women commonly take out a few years um, to rear children. Not all of them, but a lot of them do. And that can affect the total years of experience. Let's say you've been working for five years and you take five years off. Well, then just because you're, say, 32 years old and you're a woman doesn't mean you have the same amount of experience as a 32-year-old man. For all we know, you have half the experience, and that does happen. And experience should change the average wages you get. So that's not taken into account either. But let's talk about race. Um, it depends who you ask. I... Th- most people seem to think that black men, and they don't like to talk about black women, because black women actually earn plenty of money. When you control for a variety of factors, they do awesome. <laughs> but that's kind of an inconvenient fact. So most of what you see is either quoted for um, like a per person um, or a, a, like a household kind of thing, because households are more likely to be split up in minority communities because divorce rates are higher. So they can artificially show a larger gap. But if you look at individual people, they always ignore black women because they do really well and they focus in on black men. And the stat which I saw come up from a variety of sites was black men earn 87% what white men do. Oh, the racism. Well, if you sprout a brainstem and start investigating the world, asking reasonable questions, um, you'll quickly find that that gap falls really, really quick. Here's an obvious one. Did you know that 56% of all black people in the United States live in the South? Did you know that? Did you know um, that compared to the Northeast, for example, um, nor, uh, w- average wages in the Northeast are 22% higher than the South? And that's no surprise. If you've bought a house down in, I don't know, Jackson, Mississippi, you'll know your money spends very, very far. And if you try to buy one up in Massachusetts, you'll know that it is freakishly expensive. So cost of living is different too, right? That could explain some of the difference in wages. Um, yeah, is that being taken into account? The majority of all black people in the U.S. live in the South, and the South has on average, yes, the lower cost of living, but also consequently so lower wages. Um, so a lot of this is geography. Let's just do some back-of-the-envelope calculation. So if we have 22% higher in the uh, northeast than the south, then the south would be, what does that work? Fractions? I don't know, like 18% or something. And then the um, half of that would, uh, half of all uh, black people would be in 
the south. Let's use the northeast as a proxy for the rest, though it's slightly richer. That should work out to roughly somewhere around 10% of the racial pay gap is just due to geography. Geography. Oh, is that all? No, of course not. Because black men and white men are not identical in every way other than their race. They're also different in age. Did you know that? Did you take that into account? Do you remember what I was just talking about with experience? Well, the average um, black, I couldn't find specifically black men and specifically white men, but we're just taking as a proxy black people and white people. Uh, Black people are younger in our nation than white people. So the, um, the average age of a black person in America is 34. The average age of a white person in America is 10 years older, 44. (laughs) Basically, your prime um, earning years, right around 44. Gee, I wonder if anybody's ever looked up what the median salary for a 34-year-old is, what the median salary for a 44-year-old is, figured out the difference and applied that to the discrepancy between black and white. What? I wonder if... You know what? Sit back, relax, listeners. I'll do it for you. The median salary for a 34-year-old worker in the United States is $52,000. The median salary for a 44-year-old worker is $60,000. I know those percentages can get tricky to do in your head, so these ones I worked out before. Do you know what that difference is? That means that the younger worker earns 86.7%, or if you round it, 87% what the older worker does. Guess what? All, let me repeat, all, let me repeat one more time, all of the discrepancy between black and white earners here, all of it, can be explained by one factor, age. That's it. That's it. That is our 87%. Black workers are younger, so they make less money. Done. Did anybody... Did, did People are quoting this as if it's the racisms. This is insane. Oh, and, and you're probably wondering right now, what if you stack those things? Well, if you stack them, well, apparently black workers are doing better. Better. <sighs> I have more myths to bust, so let's keep going. <laughs> Capitalism is wasteful. No, um, capitalism looks to fully exploit all market opportunities. And I'm sorry, either there are greedy capitalists, greedy people always looking to get every single ounce of profit, or they're wasteful. You don't get both. You just don't. Why? Because if there was waste that could be put to a valuable use over and above the cost that it takes to put it to that valuable use, then that profit would be made if one can be made aware of it. So to the extent of our knowledge, profit-seeking firms will always seek to maximize their profit, and that would mean minimize their waste. Prices help us to know um, when we can use what would be waste for a more efficient goal. There are times where it's actually more expensive to, say, recycle something than to destroy it. And what's that mean? It means that 
Recycling takes more resources. Which resources? We don't know. Could be labor, could be capital, could be natural resource. It is a blend of all of these things to turn it into that same product or service again than it would be to recreate it. So when the price of one thing is higher than another, that's the market telling you that the higher price thing uses things which are heavily demanded and relatively uh, limited in supply. Cheap things are things which are relatively demanded less and or uh, higher in supply. So what does the market try to do? The market tries at all times and everywhere to use what is unwanted and plentiful to create what is wanted and lacking. That is the market system in a nutshell. To say that that is wasteful is so deeply ignorant of how markets work that I can't feel my legs. Next myth. Capitalism creates massive boom-bust cycles that have to be regulated by government spending. All of economics is the question of compared to what? It's opportunity costs where we compare one thing to the other. So what are we comparing this to? Are we saying that there are ups and downs in market economies? Well, yes, of course. We live in the world. It's an unpredictable place. Welcome to reality. Um, But if this is compared to what? If they're pretending that somehow it's worse than other things, then apparently we've conveniently forgotten the Soviet Union's industrial expansion and subsequent collapse. Or apparently we're forgetting Maoist China um, and their giant, uh, giant, collapses which starved to death tens of millions of people. Or, I don't know, maybe we're forgetting the massive bubble in Japan as a result of uh, failed industrial planning, loose monetary policy, and fiscal stimulus. (laughs) Popped probably the biggest bubble in the history of the world, which is still causing problems. Um, But no, 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 no. The real problem is uh, is capitalism, apparently. I, I think this is ridiculous, guys. Just uh, go back to that economic freedom ranking that we talked about last episode. Go ahead, pull it up. I'll give you a second. Cool, you read it. Um, The ones at the top, the ones which are most economically free, the ones which are most free market, uh, do you think they're ones which are are wildly volatile? I don't think so. We have things like Switzerland up at the top. It's a very stable place, very stable economically. How about you look down at the ones which are at the very bottom, the Venezuelas, which (laughs) go up and down and sometimes are capital city. They have people busting trash cans up looking for food and eating their pets. I mean, wow. Talk about a boom-bust cycle, guys. You went from the richest South American country to literally your capital city um, is eating their pets. So, yeah, we could bust it right there, I think. But let's just look at our economy. Um, what kind of booms and busts do we have? I th- think you guys can probably, uh, probably remember back to the uh, 2008, 2009 housing crisis, but that's when the government pushed, uh, subprime mortgages, said that the minorities weren't getting enough, um, weren't getting enough, uh, mortgages, that they weren't qualifying. Now, was it because they weren't qualifying because of their race? No, it just, they looked at the data and said, eh, looks like there's a discrepancy, so, meh, let's make our, uh, Let's make reality conform to what we think reality should be instead of the other way around. And they forced banks pretty much to lend to people who would not have passed an underwriting uh, uh, qualifications. Now, I think that's absolutely insane. I mean, this is 
This is something that our government did. It meddled in the economy to massively increase the risks. And then it's government banks, you know, uh, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, uh, Freddie Mac, they, um, they were very much complete. You know, we're going to have to do a whole episode just on the housing crisis. But um, yeah, they caused a lot of that. And then uh, we have the Federal Reserve being too accommodating in their monetary policy. Uh, that was a problem. And no surprise, we got the big bust of 2008. And then, I mean, we had a lot of firms which were over leveraged and risk taking because they anticipated a bailout if things went terribly wrong. So that's another problem that in the absence of government bailouts, the the markets will not be willing to tolerate near as much systemic risk. So it's government intervention that creates a moral hazard that encourages reckless risk taking, which sets the scene for these big busts. If the government wasn't going to interact to save the day at the end, well, then it wouldn't have to. And if the government didn't meddle in the markets to uh, uh, to try to push up bubbles with uh, commutative monetary policy, with huge budget deficits, and with laws that uh, push risky assets into the portfolios of banks, I mean, <laughs> we wouldn't have that. So they're literally on all sides of the whole boom-bust thing. So don't don't think that they're somehow the saviors of this. They're quite typically in a market economy, the cause. Or if we go back to the Great Depression, a lot of the policies that they did to quote unquote help were some of the most moronic policies in economic history. For instance, farmers were hurting. Well, how could we help them? Hmm, what helps farmers? Oh, I got it. Um, how about high crop prices? How about high prices for for meat like, like, uh, like pigs, right? Yeah, how can we make that higher? Oh, why we have an elementary understanding of supply and demand, let's reduce supply and that will drive up the price and help the farmers and then we'll all get out of this giant depression. Why, what a great idea. And then, I kid you not, the government. <laughs> In what might be the stupidest economic policy that I can possibly imagine, went out and killed a bunch of the farmers' hogs and burnt them. Did not allow them to become food. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Destroyed crops during the Great Depression to drive up the cost of these things to, quote-unquote, help the farmers to drive aggregate demand with higher... It, it, this, is, this is true, and this is ridiculous. And by the way, we actually have a similar Soviet-type policy um, with our milk production, where all milk sold to the government, and then some of it is destroyed to regulate the price. Yes, that happens today. Um, the government is not good at regulating these things. It normally just shoots itself and us in the foot while it's at it, um, creates moral hazards and uh, does uh, backfiring types of laws. And then the one thing that really can be counted on to create a boom-bust cycle <laughs> is a change in interest rates, right? And that is uh, the one part of uh, central uh, economic planning in a market economy is the adjustment of the interest rates by a Federal Reserve or similar bank. So capitalism creates the boom-bust cycles that have to be regulated by the government. I'm just going to go for a, a no. There are ups and downs, sure, but the government typically makes it worse. Nick Smith, companies should respond to all of their stakeholders and not just care about profit. It's true that there's like certain things companies shouldn't do, and I think a lot of those should either be illegal or um, just we should have social sanctions where we just as a society don't do that, right? 
if uh, as a society we don't lie, then our companies won't be dishonest. And yeah, we do need guardrails about um, don't fraudulently advertise. That would be bad. It helps nobody. So we can make that illegal. This isn't what people are talking about. This is about, um, I have things that I wish were done and I want to make other people pay for them. Uh, that's the same spirit as a mugger who comes up and pulls a knife on you and says, you know, I want, I want a sandwich and I want, I want a Netflix subscription and I want you to pay for it. In fact, I'm going to force you to pay for it. That's not okay. That's theft, right? Now, what if they said, yeah, 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 but we are less fortunate than you. Therefore, we can take your money and use it to spend on our priorities. Well, that's not a defense. You can't just take money from people because you're less fortunate than them. Of course not. That's not how it works. We don't let poor people rob rich people because, well, they're less fortunate. Um, what if they said, but, 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 but I'm, I'm actually going to buy something really good. I'm going to go save a puppy from the kill shelter. I need 75 bucks to get the little guy off death row. I am going to mug you to get that. No, I mean, I get that's your priority, and maybe that's a good thing, depending on the breed. Um, but, you know, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a golden retriever. But you can't do that. That doesn't justify taking from other people, particularly by force, or just leveraging them in, guilting them in, or somehow coercing them into spend on your priorities. No, that's theft. Let me give you a governmental example, one that's deeply close to home. The planning department at the, uh, in the city that I'm, I'm building a new, new house on said that they want curbs and gutters across the land. Yes, every road should have a curb and a gutter right there. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be great? Well, their city would be better. They really want this. Do, their na- do the neighbors in that area want it? No, I don't think they've ever thought about, gee, mm, I wish we all had curbs. Wouldn't that be cool? Don't you love a curb? Don't you love a good curb? No, they don't care. Do I care? No, I don't care about curbs. I don't want to curb around my property. I, good night. No. But they want it. They want a curb. They, for some reason, big fans of curbs. So what do they do? Well, they realize that there's no way for them to, uh, to pay for it. So every time somebody builds a new house, they just demand that I pay for it. And I can't build unless I do it. And that's exactly where your favorite podcaster is hung up. I have to pay them to put a curb and a, and a gutter all along my own property. Why? Because they want it, not because I want it. And uh, that's the only way I can build. They got me over a barrel, guys. So I'm going to pass that over to whoever buys the home. And I'll probably take a hit to my profit. Do you think that's right? Do you think that really helps people? I don't think so. It's not based on the market or the blend of the supply and demand, all the things we wish to demand and wish to supply for our neighbors. No, no. This is completely absent that. That's somebody just unilaterally deciding that this is a good that they like, but they don't want to pay for. So they're going to make somebody else do it. I don't think that's ever a good idea. I don't like that. So with our myth here, should we do that to other companies, companies larger than mine? No, of course not. Now, it's nice that, say, you want an environment cleaner, but you don't get to make other people pay for your priorities. That's not how it works. That's that's called theft, guys. That's that's just corruption, theft. That's terrible. So the priority of a firm is to make money. Now, if the owners of that firm want to take that money 
and use it to solve problems in the world? Well, wonderful. I hope they do. I try to do that. Like you should try to do that. We should all be doing that, right? That's great. But there's literally no reason to make every company into some weird amalgamation of a charity, a public institution, and a company. A house divided against itself cannot stand. The, the, the core part of a market economy is that we specialize in different things, but this is just like a shot directly at specialization. No, no. Companies have to be charities. Companies have to be quasi-public institutions. Companies have to be companies too. No, no, no. Companies should be companies. Charities should be charities. Public institutions should be public institutions. We should not be demanding from others things that we want for ourselves without any type of compensation. That is insane. So, companies should respond to the people who own the company, the shareholders, right? And they should seek to provide the shareholders the thing which they have a fiduciary responsibility to provide them. And that is a strong and steady profit in a wise management of the assets in their care. That's what they should do. And then all the questions about the other things can be solved by the people who then receive that profit. This ought to be a, a uh, just a, a one-use organization. There's many organizations in the world. They all don't have to do everything. You don't complain that your car is not a house or that your house is not a car. You want your car to do car things and your house to do house things. Well, guess what? I want my companies to do company things and my charities to do charity things because that's what they're best at. And trying to smash them into one is insane. Next myth, capitalism will not give workers a fair wage or good working conditions. Now, if that were true, all workers would be minimum wage workers. And that is manifestly false. In fact, Here's one that you're not going to believe, but in the U.S., you are 3 point, I'm sorry, 6.3 times, so 630%, more likely to be a millionaire than to be earning minimum wage. That's a fact. There's something like 8.8% of the U.S. population are millionaires, and 1.4% of workers earn minimum wage wage. For my international listeners, you must think right now that we're a bunch of entitled spoiled brats for all the belly aching we do, and you're 100% right. The only thing we ought to be doing over here is sitting and pondering how we can be more grateful for the abundant, insane, and manifest wealth that the good Lord has granted us ungrateful people. We... We have a ton of wealth. We have a lot of people earning very high wages. And if you listen to the earlier episode where I talked about um, how quickly people pop through the income strata, you would have learned that we don't just have a fixed group of poor people and a fixed group of wealthy people. Here in the United States, that minimum wage wor or worker has a very high probability of being in the highest levels of the income distribution at some point in their life. Most people earn a ton of money for at least a few years, and the majority of people are in poverty for a few years. We move up and down through the income strata like popping popcorn, guys. Um, so does capitalism give fair wages and good working conditions? Um, yes, it does. 
it does. It, we have had increasing wages and increasing working conditions for generation after generation. Now, political parties and unions wanting to stay relevant, wanting to trick you into thinking that they made your life better, um, might say otherwise. But actually, here's the reality, guys. You know whose job it is to make your life better? It's not unions, not political parties. It's you. It's you. And individual people have done that, both for themselves, and they continue to do it. And generations past did the work. When the coal miners of generations past worked hard, dangerous, dirty jobs, day in, day out, with probably less complaining than we do now, they fueled an economic rise that could that could afford to lift wages of the next generation. It was them. It wasn't unions. It wasn't government. It was any of those things. It was very hardworking people. They did it. Wealth doesn't come from whining. Wealth comes from working. And here's an economic reminder. The maximum wages that average workers can make is set by the average economic output per worker, meaning Productivity drives long-term wage growth. So if you can only make, say, $10 an hour worth of value, then it is not possible over the long run that the economy will pay you more than $10. It doesn't matter what you wish it would be. It doesn't matter what a, a union or a political party will try to force to be the case. Um, this is just reality, that if they paid you more, the firm would stop existing and you'd be paid nothing. So, over the long term, the only way that these wages in aggregate grow is when productivity per worker rises. This means innovation. This means uh, we, we need smart and not insane regulation. That means we need strong, profit-driven companies. Uh, that means we need large amounts of savings and investment. We need risk-taking. Um, we need stable monetary policy. We need good rule of law. We need the extractive class to, to be put in a little box <laughs> and the productive class to take the wheel. That's what we need. So whining and whinging um, got some laws passed. That's true. And uh, there's some arguments that the 40-hour work week was from the whining and whinging. But really what I think made it mainstream was Henry Ford. He paid incredible wages and gave spectacular benefits. Why? Why was he able to do that? He was able to do that because each worker created that much value and more. And why? Well, because of the incredible efficiency and productivity of the system of labor organization in his factories. So, remember, if you want higher wages and better working conditions, we need to drive up productivity like a Henry Ford did. He's the one. It's his system of manufacturing that spread throughout the world that lifted productivity and that made it possible for long-term sustained increases in wages and increase in other types of compensation like safety and flexibility of hours and all the other things that we enjoy because of other people's hard work, people who went before us. All right. Let me just run down our myths real quick. Our number one was that capitalism hurts minorities and women. For instance, the gender pay gap and the racial pay gap. We found that they're um, simply lying, that this is just sheer ridiculous propaganda and you shouldn't believe it. And uh, the best um, medicine against this is, well, 
You got two. One, quote, the very obvious things that they're not accounting for and being dishonest about, like hours worked, type of work, firm size, rural, um, uh, the commute, the years of experience. Uh, you got to look at geography, right? Um, and yeah, we found the average age accounted for all the, the disparity between uh, black men and black uh, and white men's uh, average wages, uh, the quote-unquote 87%. So you can do that, or you can just say, I don't know, mockery is not a bad way to do it either. Um, I believe it's Proverbs that says, if you argue with a fool, onlookers might not know who's who. Um, so St. Augustine reminds us that we can use mockery in very select cases, like Jesus did, right, to show who the fool is. And uh, it is just foolish to believe in these uh, pay gap things. I mean, maybe a tiny margin here or there, maybe for whatever reason, but I'm sorry if you're not accounting for most obvious factors in the world, then you're just doing propaganda. Capitalism's wasteful. That deeply misunderstands capitalism. Um, That's where we try to use things which are abundant and disliked. Um, in order to create things which are very much demanded and in short supply. That's literally the whole thing. That's that's the system which would reduce waste. If you see waste, that's because there is no economically profitable place to um, reallocate it. If there was, then you're just saying that these greedy capitalists aren't being greedy. <laughs> They're just forfeiting profit for funsies. And I don't think that's true. And if that is true, if you have like this special knowledge of a, a wasteful place where we could put that waste to use, um, well, Hey, we actually rely on entrepreneurs finding this, uh, finding these little holes in the market. So start up a company, get involved, do that. I mean, if you see waste and you think it could be put to a higher value juice, do it, do it. It's wonderful. That's part of capitalism, though. Capitalism creates massive boom bust cycles that have to be regulated by the government. No, typically government's doing the big boom bust cycles through poor fiscal, monetary policy, regulatory policy, and the insane stuff that we talked about with like milk and killing hogs and whatnot. And we have to ask compared to what? No, socialism, communism, uh, times where we have massive amounts of of government regulation, ergo, we have uh, the expectation of government bailouts. All those things make things worse, not better. Um, We need to have uh, government step away, and then we won't be able to tolerate that much systemic risk in a market because we know that uh, Uncle Sam's not coming to bail us out. All right, uh, companies should respond to all their stakeholders, not just care about profit. Well, we think that people should act morally, sure, and legally, mm -hmm. but then we think that people should do what they're best at, the most, and do that the best. Charities should do charities, public institutions, public institution stuff, and companies should be companies. And uh, we think it's wrong for people to demand that other people pay for their own private priorities. It's wrong. Nope, not how it works. You can't uh, say it's because you're less fortunate or because uh, you're going to do something nice with their money. (laughs) You can't force people to give them their money. That's, uh, That's called stealing, guys. It's wrong. Capitalism will not give workers a fair wage or good working conditions. Well, I mean, we're relatively a market economy, though that's a that's a always in jeopardy, guys. Freedom is only one generation from being lost. But um, for now, uh, we have some pretty awesome stats to show for that. You're six point three times more likely to be a millionaire than earning a minimum wage. We do see a long-term trend of increased wages of certainly, as we talked about in the earlier episode, I think it was last one, that the standard of living is miles higher today than it was any other point. 
The other problems that we could solve? Yes, but I don't think we're going to solve them by ditching that which creates wealth in the first place. Specialization, trade in a strong, well-functioning market economy. All right. Well, if there's more myths that you would like me to do, then just email me. I'd love to cover them. Or if there's one that really piqued your interest, I know this one, I really covered them pretty quick. So if you want me to drill a little bit deeper, I'm happy to do so. Just email me at thegordiannot101 at gmail.com. The next non-religious, non-philosophical uh, episodes which are coming up will be either Climate Change by Popular Demand or also by popular demand, the long-promised and not-yet-delivered episode on church and state. We're continuing our series on Leviticus, and um, I have no idea if I'm going to make it to the end because it's a long book and I'm plowing pretty slowly, but I encourage you guys uh, to give that a listen. If you don't learn cool things in that episode, I will give you your money back. Not that not that I ever take your money anyway, but... Um, Yes, it's a good one. I hope you guys enjoy it. I've been enjoying putting it together. Well, God bless you all. Thanks for listening. A uh, quick reminder, if you can stop right now and write a review for the podcast, I would really appreciate that. Uh, share it with your friends. Hit whatever buttons you can hit that do things. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. Podcast uh, grows and fits and starts, and uh, I always appreciate uh hearing from you guys because it sounds like it does indeed help people um, understand economics, understand uh, scripture, understand philosophy, and the Catholic faith. And that all makes me very, very happy. All right. Have a great week.